We have been and we continue to be in the book of 1 Samuel. We're going to be in 1 Samuel chapter 5 today, so if you want to go ahead uh, and start moving there. If you don't have a copy of Scripture with you, I would encourage you to grab one of those black hardback Bibles in front of you and turn there. It's on page 236 in those hardback Bibles. If you don't have a copy of Scripture to call your very own, I would ask that you take one of those black hardback Bibles with you this morning as our gift to you. I want to remind you where we are in the story of 1 Samuel. The people of God have been challenged by the Philistines and have gone out to battle and have been defeated. They've come back and recognizing and remembering that the in the conquest of the land, when they carried the ark in front of them, they bring the ark of God out with them in battle again. And yet, one thing is missing. They do not call on God to go with them. They have turned the ark of the Lord into a, a talisman to carry in front of them. Instead of understanding that the true presence of God goes in front of them. And so they meet the Philistines again in battle and are utterly defeated. In fact, Scripture tells us that 30,000 died. Of those two were the sons of Eli, Hophni and Phinehas. And when the word comes back to Shiloh what has happened, Eli falls over dead. Phinehas' wife goes into preterm labor, gives birth to a son that she names Ichabod, meaning without glory, because the glory of God had left, and then she dies in childbirth. And so, what we're going to read today starts at the same time that those events in Shiloh are happening. These are stories that are running at the same time. And so we're going to leave God's people, we're going to leave the Israelites, and we're going to go with the ark into the cities of the Philistines. And we're going to see what happens there. So again, we are in 1 Samuel chapter 5. We're going to start with verse 1. Will you stand as you're willing and able as we read God's Word together? After the Philistines had captured the ark of God, they took it from Ebenezer to Ashdod and brought it into the temple of Dagon and placed it next to his statue. When the people of Ashdod got up early the next morning, there was Dagon fallen with his face to the ground before the ark of the Lord. So they took Dagon and returned him to his place. But when they got up early the next morning, there was Dagon, fallen with his face to the ground before the ark of the Lord. This time, Dagon's head and both of his hands were broken off, or, or chopped off, and lying on the threshold. Only Dagon's torso remained. That is why, still today, the priests of Dagon and everyone who enters the temple of Dagon in Ashdod do not step on Dagon's threshold. The Lord's hand was heavy on the people of Ashdod. He terrified the people of Ashdod and its territory and afflicted them with tumors. When the people of Ashdod saw what was happening, they said, the ark of Israel's God must not stay here with us because his hand is strong against us and our God, Dagon. So they called all the Philistine rulers together and asked, what should we do with the ark of Israel's God? The ark of Israel's God should be moved to Gath, they replied. So they moved the ark of Israel's God. After they had moved it, the Lord's hand was against the city of Gath, causing a great panic. He afflicted the people of the city, from the youngest to the oldest, with an outbreak of tumors. 
the people of Gath and sent the ark to the, to, of God to Ekron. But when it got there, the Ekronites cried out, they've moved the ark of Israel's God to kill us and our people. The Ekronites called all the Philistine rulers together. They said, send the ark of Israel's God away. Let it return to its place so it won't, won't, won't kill us and our people. For the fear of death pervaded the city. God's hand was oppressing them. Those who did not die were afflicted with tumors, and the outcry of the city went up to heaven. This is the word of God. Read it, believe it, and live it. Let us pray. Dear Heavenly God, as we gather this morning, as we open your word to study it, to read it, to learn from it, I pray that we would, we would see in this story and in our lives where your hand is at work, where your hand falls heavy, that we would see and understand your power and your glory, that we would understand what happens when we seek to defy you. So God, as we open your word and as we study it, I pray that the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts would be acceptable and pleasing to you, our God and our King. Amen. You may be seated. Here is an uncomfortable truth. The uncomfortable truth is this. We all seek to defy God. We all do it. This is our sin nature that we have. That apart from God and apart from His grace, we are inclined against Him and inclined to seek to defy Him. Now, sometimes this doesn't look like big stuff. Sometimes this looks like little stuff. Sometimes this looks like us just thinking that we can accomplish anything in our own strength and in our own power. In particular, we think that we can accomplish our own salvation and our own righteousness in and of ourselves and our action. That is, after all, what the term self-righteous really means. It means that we think that our righteousness can come from ourselves and not from God. See, one of the, the reasons, one of the things that causes us to seek to defy God and to think that we can do it all under our own power is that the, the, the power of God causes very few of us, even those of us who are in God's people, causes very few of us to tremble before Him and to tremble before His power. Because what happens is we look around us and it looks like people are getting away with defying God all the time. After all, there are lots of people in this country and beyond who are fabulously successful by the world's standards, who live lives in total and complete, utter defiance of God and His will. In fact, I would offer that many or most of those who are fabulously wealthy, fabulously famous, 
fabulously successful by the world's standards have gotten that way in open defiance of God. We think that we can get away with it. It troubles me how often these days we are beginning to see signs or comments from people like, hell is going to be so much fun. Or, if all of the Christians are going to heaven, I don't want to be there. Send me to hell where the good music is going to be. Or, on my way to hell and proud of it in rainbow colors. See, all around us, it looks like that people can defy God with no consequences. And that's what's happened in this story. It looks like that the Philistines are going to defy God with zero consequences. Now, we've seen the Israelites have defied God, and there have been some consequences visited on them. 30,000 of them are dead. The chief priest has fallen over and broken his neck. His two sons are dead, and his grandson is born with the name Glory is Gone. But the Philistines... They've won. They've beaten and killed 30,000 Israelites. They've conquered the ark of God, have carried it into their chief city. They are in open defiance of the Lord, and it looks like they're getting away with it. But here is the truth. Consequences are always coming. The consequences will always be visited on those who defy God. At the end of chapter 4, we have the birth of Ichabod. The last verse, the last sentence we have is, the glory has departed from Israel because the ark of God has been captured. Then the first sentence of chapter 5 is, after the Philistines had captured the ark of God. We're, we're right there. We're in that same story. Glory has departed God's people and it is in enemy hands. It is in the hands of those who are defiant. They return to their to their cities in triumph and in glory. And they take the ark of God and they put it in front of Dagon. Now, who is Dagon? It appears as if he is probably the chief deity among the Philistine deities. That he is a deity not terribly dissimilar from from. Baal, who we'll meet later in the New Testament. The last time, or one of the last times that we might have seen Dagon or his temple, there was a man named Samson who was chained between two pillars. And in a last act of contrition, he calls out to God. God returns his strength and he pulls the temple down not only on himself, 
but on all of the worshipers. So same Dagon, and in particular, and potentially even, the same temple rebuilt. And so, so this is where they have brought the ark, and they place it in front of Dagon as an offering to Dagon. This is an act. Our God is better than your God. Any of y'all ever get into one of those really petty playground arguments when you were a kid? Well, yeah, well, my dad can beat up your dad. I mean, this is that kind of thing. Well, yeah, well my God beat up on your God. And so we're going we're gonna to take your God's throne and we're going to put it in front of Dagon. Now, it's important for us to remember This is all happening in Israel, Palestine, Levant, whatever we want to call that region of the world. And if you've ever been there, um, I have not, but I know lots of people who have. Everything is a lot closer there than it is here. So so the the defeat has happened at, at Ebenezer, and they've taken the ark from Ebenezer to Ashdod, and that's only about 30 miles so it's, it's not that far away. And that's important because as all of these things are beginning to happen, I want you to think whether or not people 20, 30, 40 miles away would be hearing about it. Because I think the answer to that is yes. They would be hearing what is going on. And so, and so in this moment of triumph, they, they travel 30 miles, they place the ark in front of Dagon, and then what happens the very next day? The very next day, they wake up, and the statue of Dagon has fallen face down in front of the ark. Now, it's interesting. If you've been paying attention as we read, at one point, the the, the author has stopped referring to the ark as the ark of Yahweh, and has and is referred to it as the Ark of, of God. There's, a, there's this idea, right, that, that, that as God's glory has left, as, as, as the people of Israel have, have abandoned God, that the Ark has moved from, from belonging to Yahweh to just this sort of generic Ark of God. And yet, now here, for the first time again, we see... It referred to as the Ark of the Lord, capital L-O-R-D in your scripture. And, and you remember in the Old Testament when you see capital L-O-R-D, it's the Tetragrammaton, it's the name of God, it's Yahweh. So, so what the author has done is, is he's, he's withheld this title to this moment. And what he's saying is, don't forget who you're messing with. Don't forget whose ark this really is. This is not just the ark of El, God. This is the ark of Yahweh. And Yahweh will not be humiliated in front of any false god. And in fact, what he does is he, he brings Dagon out, and if you think about it, if, if you walk in, what is it going to look like to you when you walk into a room and, and the idol of one God is bowed down, laying down in front of 
the throne of Yahweh. It's going to look as if Dagon has been humiliated and is in worship to Yahweh. And brothers and sisters, the time will come when every knee will bow and every tongue will confess. Dagon's knee is being bent to Yahweh. Now, what happens, right? They, they take him and they, they lift the statue of Dagon up and they, they place it. And, and, and a little bit later in the story of Israel, we're going to hear about, about Baal and, and, and that, that, that confrontation between the prophets of Baal and Elijah. And you remember that one of the things that Elijah says at that point is, why don't you pick him up? Because why do they have to pick Dagon up? Because Dagon can't pick himself up. Yesterday morning, I, I, I got up and... Okay, so there's this YouTube channel that I watch, and the new episode comes out every Saturday morning. It's a couple with a, now with a little baby, and they own a sailboat, and they sail all over the world. And it's my vicarious way of pretending like I'm going to run off and go over the horizon in a sailboat one day. But the issue, the, the episodes post every Saturday. And so, so a lot of Saturday mornings, I get up and I take either one or both of the boys with me in and we watch Project Atticus together. That's what we do on Saturday morning. Well, so yesterday morning, I, I had Wesley and we had watched and it was over and he was getting hungry. And so I got up to bring him in to Audrey. <clears throat> and somebody... One of you kind people gave Jamie an indoor popping lawnmower for his second birthday. The only problem with that is it has wheels on it. And so as I'm holding Wesley and my foot comes down on top of it, it goes that way, I go that way, and the baby goes that way. And somehow, I dropped him and caught him all in the same moment. I did not have control of him, and then I had control of him. But what that meant, right, was that I had to take the full brunt of the fall. So there's a huge goose egg on my arm, and I got a, my, my, I might have cracked a rib or bruised a rib. Don't ask me to breathe too deeply. But I've reached that age where I don't hit the ground and just bounce back anymore. I've reached that age where I hit the ground and I have to call for help. I've reached that time in my life where I hit the ground and I start taking inventory. Is everything where it's supposed to be? But I called and Audrey came in. She didn't know where I was. I don't know how she could not know where I was because the boom had to have been heard at Jeff's house. but I needed a little help to get up. Dagon needed a little help to get up. Because he's not God. Because, like me, Dagon is a created thing. So the second night, they lift him up, they put him back, and the second morning when they come in, over that second night, he has come down again, except this time, 
what we're told. When we read the CSB, it says that his head and his hands were broken off. The word there is actually cut off. And that's something that you would do to your enemies in battle to humiliate them. You would remove their, their hands and their head. But also, guess what else? Every Sunday, almost every Sunday, we end with a, a prayer that comes from the, the, the old Sarum rite from England. So, and my own adaptation of the blessing of Sarum. Be in our mind and in our... Be in our mouth and in our... Be in our hands and in our... So if we have, if we have no head, guess what? We have no... So there's no... And if we don't have any hands, there's no... God is showing that Dagon cannot speak. That Dagon cannot act. Because he not only is a created being, he's a creation of man. He's not even a creation of God. Creations of God, guess what? They can speak and they can do. But the creations of human beings can't speak and can't do, right? Not without human input. Then, we're told that the Lord's hand was heavy on the people of Ashdod. That He, he terrified them and He afflicted them with tumors. And so what's their response? What's the response for many of us when we're in defiance of God and we begin to, to reap the consequences of that defiance, right? We try and send the consequences somewhere else. We don't acknowledge our defiance. No, what they, they don't do here. They don't do, oh, we have the ark. We shouldn't have the ark. God is, the God of Israel is sending us a message. Let's send him back. They don't do that, do they? They try and pass the buck. I want you to think real Again, we're talking about all of these places are within 15, 20, 30 miles of each other. So I want you to think that, that in, in Lumberton, there's, a, there's an object that has come into town, and everybody in town has been affected with tumors and boils. And then the good people of Lumberton come to us and say, hey, you know, we got this thing, we won in battle, it's, it's really kind of cool to have, you know, why don't you take it? Would we want it? No. And yet that's what they do. That's what the people of Ashdod do to the people of Gath, right? Oh, it'll be fine. You take it. And we do that when we're in defiance of God, don't we? Oh, this, will be, this is fine. This is wonderful. This is great. Why don't you take some of the consequences? We do that. Don't, have any of you ever been in a situation in which you were roped by somebody else into their defiance? Or, or perhaps you've roped somebody else in your, into your defiance. And, and, and there, are too many, there are too many shaking heads out there. Y'all, this is called peer pressure. Hey, I, 
I, I know your daddy doesn't want you drinking this beer, but nothing will happen. Why don't you have some? Hey, look, I have skipped first period twice a week all school year. Nothing will happen. Let's, let's go get breakfast. Maybe some more nods now, right? We do this. We, we try and rope other people into our defiance, thinking that maybe the consequences will be spread out a little bit more. Or we allow ourselves to get roped into other people's defiance because, well, okay, there were some consequences over there, but those consequences won't happen to me. Or maybe we don't connect the consequences with the, with the defiance. And so the ark comes to the people of Gath. And the same thing happens in Gath that has happened in Ashdod. And so the people of Gath do the exact same thing that the people of Ashdod. They try and pass it off. Make it somebody else's problem. And they try and pass it to the city of Ekron. And at this point, the Ekron Yep, the people who live in Ekron, Ekronites, have finally gotten wise. And they're like, nope, no thank you. I appreciate the offer, but no. And they call together all of the leaders of the Philistines, and they say, what are we going to do? And finally they say, let's, let's send the ark back. Let's, let's send it back. Let's return it to its place so it won't kill us and our people. The fear of death pervaded the city. God's hand was oppressing them. And what do the Philistines do? The Philistines here finally do what the people of God have yet to do. They cry out to him. We're told, right, that right there, that God's hand was oppressing them. And they call out to God. That's this pattern that we've seen over and over and over again. Pharaoh was oppressing God's people. And what did God's people do? They cry out to God. We see it over and over and over again in Judges. One group or another was oppressing God's people. And what do God's people do? They cry out to him. And so now we see not God's people, but the enemies of God being oppressed by God. And they cry out to him. And he hears them. And he answers. Because here's the thing. They thought they had defeated God. They thought that God was humiliated. They thought that Yahweh was conquered. But he has shown them the consequences of their rebellion. The enemies of God think they've defeated him and he humiliates them. And, and I don't think that's too strong a word with what's happened here. 
God has, in the true sense of the word, God has humiliated the Philistines. We see here is the beginning of an image of what God does when his enemies think that he is defeated. He turns the tables on them and he shows that his defeat is not a defeat but an opportunity for him to show who he is and to show his power and his glory. I mentioned it earlier in our time of prayer. We must not forget that on that Friday, when God's Son hung dead on a cross, the people did not know what was coming. God looked defeated and dead and humiliated. The Romans had done to God's Son the same thing that the Philistines do to God's Ark. They humiliate Him. They conquer Him. They kill Him. They place Him in a public place so that His humility can be known and seen by all. And there is consequence for that rebellion. God humiliates his enemies. He humiliates the scribes and the Pharisees and the Romans by raising his son and by showing that they aren't actually in charge of what's going on. God humiliates the devil by conquering once and for all sin and death. But even in this moment of God humiliating and conquering his enemies, there is this spark of hope. Even among God's enemies, those who would see themselves and understand who they are in relationship to God and cry out to him will be saved. He will hear them. And what we know is that through the blood of Christ, he grafts us and adopts us into his people. We're coming to the Lord's table this morning. Those of you who are deacons, if you will begin to make your way forward. You know, it is interesting that we have taken this meal. God has taken this meal, this, this thing that could be a sign of His humiliation, His spilt blood and His broken body, and yet turns it into a victory feast. Turns it into a triumph. That is what happens at this table. We remember Christ's death and suffering. But we also remember Christ's victory and triumph. 
as they were eating, Jesus took the bread and he broke it and he gave it to his disciples as he said, take and eat. This is my body. And then he took the cup and after giving thanks, he gave it to them and he said, drink from it, all of you, for this is my blood of the covenant which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. But I tell you, I will not drink from this fruit of the vine from now on until the day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. Then they sang a hymn and went out to the Mount of Olives. Brothers and sisters, we come now to observe this ordinance of the Lord's Supper given to us to celebrate the memory of His broken body and shed blood. Let us pray. Lord, as we gather around this table, we ask that You would be present among us. Take this humble bread and cup and make it something more. God, we know and understand that you have given us this table to see us grow in grace and mercy. And so my prayer is that this would be a time when we would see that growth happen in our lives and in the life of our congregation. Amen. Brothers and sisters, this is not my table. This is not Fairmont First Baptist's table. This table belongs to God and to him alone. And it is open to all who are baptized believers and who are in a place of reconciliation and peace with God and neighbor. Paul warns us in 1 Corinthians what happens if we take of the table in an unworthy manner. And so, as a show of our Christian unity and dedication to the truth, let us speak together the words of the Apostles' Creed, that ancient expression of the essentials of our faith. I believe in God the Father Almighty, Creator of heaven and earth, I believe in Jesus Christ, His Son, our only Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. He ascended to the dead. On the third day, He rose again and ascended to heaven and seated at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From thence He shall come to judge the quick and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Universal Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and life everlasting. If you can join with us without reservation in the confessing of these essential truths, have been baptized as a believer, you are welcome at this table.
Brothers and sisters, Christ has told us that he is the bread of life. Take, eat in remembrance of him. Similarly, we know that the blood of Christ seals us into the new covenant, grafts us and adopts us into the family of God. And so take, drink, in remembrance of him. Scripture tells us that as often as we eat this bread and drink this cup, we do so in proclamation of the Lord's death until he comes again. The deacons want to be seated for a second. Um, This month, we have two different uh, groups of people that are headed out from our church and from our community to to do missions. Ms. Becky will be headed here in just a couple of days um, to Jamaica, and we are so happy and thankful for her that for the first time, I think, since COVID, um, able able to go back. She's been going, many of you know this, she's been going almost every year um, since the early 70s. Likewise, in a couple of weeks, our world changers will be headed um, out, and they will be going to um, the, 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 the godless, heathen realm of Ohio, to Cleveland, um, to do uh, missionary work there. Um, and, so, uh, and so, at this point, if world changers would like to come up, and if Ms. Becky would like to come up, we are going to pray for them. Um, at the conclusion here of the Lord's Supper, um, before we sing together, um, as we send them and prepare to send them out from this place um, to do the work of God. Um, This is, just so you know, this is not all of the world changers that are going. We've got 15 um, altogether that are going. Several folks are out of town and not present with us uh, today. And so, um, just so you know, there are 15 uh, going on that trip. Um, mainly due to y'all and the support that you give them throughout the year. So thank you for that. As we end our time together, as we end our time at the table, let us pray. Dear gracious and merciful God, we've just partaken in your table together as brothers and sisters in Christ. partaken of a a table to remind us of the the good news of your Son, of his life, death, burial, and resurrection, but also to remind us of all of the things that he commanded us to do, chief among those, to go into all of the world carrying that good news. And so, God, as, as these members of our community, of our fellowship, get ready to leave this month, and to to head to Jamaica and head to Cleveland, God, I pray that you would go with them. God, I pray that you would already be preparing the hearts of the people that they're going to encounter so that they may have gospel conversations. God, I I ask that you be preparing their hearts now so that they can give a, a testimony, always give a testimony to their hope in you. God, I pray that we would see you at work in their lives and in the lives of the people that they serve. We pray that as they travel, you would go with them and keep them safe on the way there and on the way back. 
We pray that you would take the offering that they are making of their time and their talent and that you would use it for your glory. We pray all these things in your son's name. Amen. Our hymn of invitation this morning is going to be Blessed Be the Tie That Binds. We're going to sing it together. We will conclude with the Amen. Um, If at this time you wish to come forward and make a profession of faith, unite with this congregation, seek baptism, or simply come forward and pray, this is an opportunity for you to do that. Please stand all together as we sing.